Bibles, if you would, and I, I hope that you got a copy of the outline this morning. And is there anybody that made it in here didn't get a copy of the outline? I, we may still have some. Brother Chris, are they? They're all gone. All right. And so uh, maybe you could share with somebody, share on with somebody there, and uh, appreciate so many of you being willing to do that. Let's stand if you're able to this morning, and maybe if you're a church member and you've got one, and somebody doesn't, you can share with them. But if you take your Bible, let's go to Genesis chapter number seven. Genesis chapter number seven. And um, Genesis chapter number seven this morning. Got a couple back there. Raise your hand if you didn't get one. He does have a couple back there. Here's one here. Keep your hand up. You know, there's a, there's a passage here, and there's a lot of history. Many of us know the story, whether you've been in church. Uh, just a little in your life, or you've been in church maybe a long time. Many of us know the story of Noah and, uh, and, and how God sent a flood and, of course, destroyed this earth, and then God began to rebuild. And we all know the passage says it was because of the wickedness of man's sin. But I was thinking about, Lord, what would you want me to speak on for family and friend day? You know, there's a lot of passages in the Bible, and certainly there's a lot of examples, but you know, most of those examples that I find in the Bible are families that didn't do what they should have done. And certainly I could find a lot of me in the Bible, right? We don't do what we should. But in Genesis 7, I find this verse here. In Genesis 7, in verse number 7, the Bible says, And Noah went in, and his sons... And his wife and his son's wives with him into the ark because of the waters of the flood. Now just think about that for a minute. Noah went in to the ark. His wife, his sons, and his son's wives. There was eight of them. They went into the ark and we all know that they were safe. That they survived the flood. Let's pray this morning. Lord, thank you for this opportunity, and I thank you for family and friends. Lord, when I think about the goodness that I know in my heart, it comes from you, from our Heavenly Father, from Jesus, who is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And I'm thankful this morning for our guests, certainly thankful for our church, But Lord, I'm thankful for your word. Now bless it this morning. May your word be clear. Lord, may you speak to hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing this morning. You see this verse, Noah went in and his sons and his wife and his son's wives with him into the ark. We all in our lives, you know what we hope for? We hope for long relationships lasting relationships. A lot of us can think about relationships that we've had along the way with this person, that person, that may have only lasted for a short period of time. But all of us want a long relationship. I was thinking about how a man asked, he was asked, uh, how, how has it been to be married to your wife for 40 years? And the man's reply was, it seems like five minutes. And the person said, five minutes? Really? 
And he said, yeah, five minutes underwater. <laughs> now, I hope that's not how your marriage feels. <laughs> uh, we have a couple's retreat coming up in about a year. We'll get you in there. But you think about it, how all of us hope for a relationship and I pray that your relationships, whatever they may be, with whoever they may be, that you don't feel like you're drowning in those relationships, that you're needing some sort of resuscitation. You know, even at church, I think about a church, and, and it's, it's neat for me as a pastor to see people starting to develop relationships with one another. You know, as we develop relationships, you know what happens? A church starts to grow. A church gets stronger. Uh, it's a wonderful thing to see relationships, and all of us want to someday have someone to sit on the porch and rock away with in our old age. We all need relationships. Every last one of us need family and friends. And when I look at Genesis 7, I see this passage, and I, I have to go back in my mind because for the sake of time this morning, and I think about this, this massive project that God gave to Noah. Now, can I remind you that this project God gave to Noah was before God ever caused it to rain. There were no Home Depots or Lowe's. And God said, I want you to build an ark. God gave him the specifications to build this massive boat that would float once the waters would start to come down and cover the earth. And Noah began to build. Now listen, this wasn't a little project. Noah built on this ark for over 100 years. Now some of you wives right now are thinking, yeah, my husband's getting close to that record. He's got a few projects around the house he's been working on about that long too. But for 100 years... Think about it. Now, uh, people lived a little longer back in those days, but for a hundred years he had been building on this ark, and the miracle is not that he finished the ark. Now, truly, that would be a miracle to finish a project of that size, that magnitude. That would be a miracle, but the miracle wasn't that he finished the ark. It was that his wife and his children got on the ark with him after having spent a hundred years building that ark. Now think about it. You ever done a project at home? I mean, I've done a lot of projects. My background was in construction, but guess what? I'm the jack of all trades and the master of none. Okay, there's, I, I, I like to, to mess with this, mess with that, and sometimes it turns out, sometimes it doesn't. You can ask my wife and my daughters. One day we, we wanted to put a new ceiling fan up in our house. And it was my thought was, I can do that. So we bought a ceiling fan, and uh, we got the thing out of the box, and I started, you know, and men don't read directions. We don't need directions. You know? I mean, that's what we have a wife for, right? So I got the fan out, began to assemble it, and I got this fan. Now, you understand, when you're putting a ceiling fan up, it's up over your head. So I'm standing on a bed, and I've got the ceiling fan, and I'm trying to hold it up, and I'm trying to screw it into place, and I'm struggling with this thing, and I'm pushing with every bit of might that I have. And I'm, I'm like letting my wife have it, my daughters have it. 
Uh, and it's their fault that this fan is not going up the way it should. And it's a miracle. That's just one of many things that uh, I, I, I tend to sometimes get uh, to, to blame other people when things don't go right. It's a miracle that my, my wife and my children still talk to me. Now, when I tell them, hey, listen, I'm thinking about building this, they all went, Psh, you know, <laughs> they're gone. They're like, find somebody else to help you on that one. But, you know, it truly is a miracle that <clears throat> for over 100 years, this family, Noah and his family, worked together. They, they, they spent time on this, and somehow after, now think about it, after 100 years, they still had a relationship with each other. Say, so how do you know that? Well, when Noah finished it, he said, I'm getting on board, and guess what happened? His wife said, I'm with my husband. I believe I'm going to get on. And his sons and their wives, they got on. It's a wonderful thing to see the relationship that they had. And when I think about, again, churches, churches grow because the relationships are built. In the Bible, in the story of the prodigal son, we talked about that in Sunday school this morning. Here's what happened. The son came, the youngest son came and said, look, I want what's mine. And he demanded of his father. The Bible says he took it, he went out, and he wasted it on riotous living. The Bible says when he had spent all, he came to himself. He realized, hey, look, even my father's servants have it better than I do. I'll just go back to my father, and I'll just be one of his hired servants. And you know what happened when he started to head towards the house? He had a father standing there who was saying, welcome home. You see, there was still a relationship that was there. That father still loved his son in spite of the sin and in spite of the, how he had wandered away and the heartache and the grief that he ex experienced. Hey, look, when you study in the Bible in the Old Testament, here's what you find is that there was a man by the name of Moses and God said to Moses, I want you to come up to this mountain and I've got something I want to give you. He gets up there and God gives him the Bible says that he wrote it with his own finger. We call it the Ten Commandments. Now, the truth is there's about 613 commandments. Oftentimes, we focus on those ten. But when you look at those ten commandments that God gave to the man of God, the Bible says in Exodus 13, verse, uh, excuse me, verse 18 of verse chapter 31, he gave unto Moses when he had made an end of communing with him, Upon Mount Sinai, two tables of testimony, tables of stone, written with the finger of God. Now, you think about that. I mean, folks, look, I can take a chisel and a hammer, and I can chisel something into a stone, but I can't write with my own finger. Only God can do that, you know? I don't know what kind of pen you would call that, but it's good. And so God, God gives these Ten Commandments. Now, look at me for a second. A lot of times when we think about it, we think two tables, we think ten. So we think there's five on one, five on the other. But the reality is, is that there was four on one and six on the other. Because the first four of those commandments, they actually deal with God's relationship to man and man's relationship to God. We call that vertical relationship. The second table had six commandments on it, 
And those six commandments deal with man's relationship with man. That's what we call a horizontal relationship. So watch this. If this relationship is right, then this relationship will be right. See, a lot of times we wonder why we don't have lasting relationships, why we don't have more friends. It's because we don't have the right relationship going this way with God. And when you think about it, it's not a people problem. It's always a God problem, meaning that there is something that is not right between us and God. In other words, all of our relationships, whether they're vertical relationships with God or horizontal relationships with man, all of our relationships have some key ingredients that are going to help us to have lasting relationships. Now, as family members and friends, I want to give you what some of those key ingredients are that I think Noah and his family had. And I hope you have them. Look at the first one there in your notes this morning. Real family and friends laugh with you. Real family and friends laugh with you. The Bible says a merry heart doeth good like what? Like a medicine. Some of you need some medicine. I'm not prescribing opioids this morning. I'm saying some of you need to get the joy of the Lord. You need to get a smile on your face. You need to have a merry heart. The word merry means light, not heavy. Lightheartedness. The Bible says, he that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast. I mean, look, when a Christian comes into a room, if that room, and many times they are because people don't know Christ, many times rooms are very serious, very sad. You know what should happen when a Christian comes in? The room should brighten up. You know, as a Christian, and you can say, my pastor said this, you should be the life of the party. I mean, seriously. Because you have hope. You have the Lord. You, you should be able to enjoy life because you know the Lord. I heard about a man who went to a monastery to be a priest years ago. And they told him when he got there, they said, now here's the rule. They said that you can only say two words every five years. And so the man thought about that. He lived quietly, meditating, thinking, praying. After five years, they asked him if he had anything to say. And he remembered the rules, so he said this, bed hard. <laughs> so he went on meditating, thinking, praying. Five years more goes by, and they said, is there anything that you would like to say? And he kind of thought for a minute thinking about, well, I've only got two words. So he said, food bad. <laughs> so five more years go by, and they asked him, they said, is there anything that you'd like to say? It's been five years. And he replied this time, I quit. <laughs> to which the father said to him, he said, well, I guess so, because all you've been doing is complaining since you got here. There was a man that died, he went to heaven. When he arrived, there was this great big long line when he got there. And he saw this big long line, he saw the pearly gates. There were thousands of men standing in that line. He kind of noticed that there was a sign where the line was that said, Henpecked men here. So he kind of looked at that sign, looked at that line, and then he moved over 
to where there could be another line because there was a sign over there that said, not henpecked men here. So one of the guys that was standing in the other line looked over and saw him. He says, what are you doing over there? And he said, I don't know. He said, my wife told me to stand here. <laughs> now, you know, look, family and friends should have a merry heart. And the reason is because, look, this world is heavy, is it not? Watch the news. You know, look, you want to you have something heavy, go, go watch an NFL game, or at least the first couple minutes of it, you know? There's heaviness, and what this world needs is it needs someone that has the joy of the Lord, people that have a longing for someone to, that has a smile on their face and has something that this world cannot give. And it's okay to have fun. Look, it's okay to have fun in church. I mean, after all, we are fundamentalist. Some of you will get that someday. Family and friends need to learn to laugh. Look, it's okay to laugh. We went to the couples retreat. And look, a lot of times you go to something like that and you're going to hear about how, you, you know, your marriage, you should be doing this as husbands, you shouldn't be doing this, and your wives should be doing this. And a lot of times people can pursue that as negative things. So you know what we do? We have a lot of humor. Because what it does is, is people laugh, they have a good time, they begin to think about, hey, listen, it's okay to have a good time. And one thing I think about is real family and friends, they laugh with you. But look at secondly, real family and friends also are friendly to you. I mean, I've got, I've, I know some people that they say they're my friend, but they're not very friendly to me. And yet the Bible says a man that hath friends must show himself friendly. Did you hear the word must? You have to show, if you want to have friends, you've got to show yourself friendly. Now, when you look at this verse, a friendly person is someone that sometimes just is the one that speaks first. You know, I, sometimes some of the friends that I have are ones that came up to me, that talked to me first. Look at Jesus did in John 4. Now, Jacob's well was there. This was one day in the life of Christ. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, he sat thus on the well. It was about the sixth hour. There cometh the woman of Samaria to draw water. Now, I'll give you, look here, I'll give you a little reference. This woman had had five husbands. She was living with a man that wasn't her husband. And Jesus knew all this about her. Guess what? Everybody in the city of Samaria knew it too. And if you research it out, there was a reason why she came to the well at that time of the day because she didn't, want to, she didn't want to be there when other people were there because other people looked down on her. Other people thought, hey, I'm better than you. By the way, none of us are better than others. It's by the grace of God. But yet Jesus saw this woman, and yet he was truthful with her. But when she comes to the well, look at this, he, as a friend, spoke first. And here's what he says to her, give me to drink. He was a friend to her. When no one else was a friend, Jesus was a friend. And the truth is, is that oftentimes we don't have friends, and here's why, because we're not friendly. We need to be friendly to everyone. Listen, that includes everyone. There's not anyone that you shouldn't be friendly to. Sometimes I just, when I go out in public, you say, Pastor, are you really like that? Absolutely. I'm friendly to everybody. And I like to go, because a lot of times, like, look here, you go out into the community, who is a group of people 
that, that are very cautious about everything they do in this day and hour, policemen. And a lot of times, I'll see a police officer and I'll say, hey, how you doing? I'll say, thank you for serving our community. And it shocks them. Somebody is being friendly to me. And a lot of times I look around, waitresses, you, go, you got one thing on your mind, fill your belly. You know what I think about? She's probably a single mom, got children at home, and she's probably scraping by. And you know, a lot of times we think, well, I'm not, she wasn't that good of a waitress, I'm not going to leave no tip. Hey, listen, you should be friendly from the time you get there, and you might, you might change her day. You might change her life by being friendly to her. See, we need to, we need to be a friend that, that would be friendly to others to be friendly. Look, the songwriter wrote, what a friend we have in Jesus. Never been a friend like Jesus in my life. I've got a lot of good friends, but the Bible says this. I mean, you think about how Jesus was criticized in his life. The Bible says in Luke 7, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and ye say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber. But look at this. He was a friend of publicans and sinners. Amazing. He was criticized for being a friend. He was a friend. You know what people need today? They need a friend. And you know who that friend needs to be? It needs to be you. You need to show yourself Friendly. How about this one, Matthew 26 in the Bible? Let's see if you, you get the context. Jesus saith unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. Anybody know who that's talking about? Judas. Or Judas Iscariot, the one that betrayed the Lord that was with him all those days. And what did Jesus call Judas who betrayed him? Friend. That's what he called him. It's amazing how Jesus looks beyond, and he's a friend to everyone. And without a, without a Barnabas, listen, without Barnabas being a friend, I don't think we'd know the Apostle Paul the way we do. Barnabas reached out. He was a comfort. He was an encouragement. He was the son of consolation. And listen, real friends and family members, they laugh with you. They're friendly with you. But look at thirdly, real family and friends love you. Can I say it this way? They love you no matter what. <laughs> Some of us are easier to love than others, aren't we? But yet we need to love one another, even as Christ has loved us. 1 Corinthians 13 is oftentimes called the love chapter. It's a tremendous chapter in our Bible. But when you look at it there in verse number 8, it says, Charity never what? Faileth. Charity, love. It never fails. Uh, love is, is seeing a need and meeting that need. I mean, look, folks, we'll talk about that tonight. There are people that have needs greater than our own, but a lot of times we focus on ourselves. Well, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I have uh, had to endure. You don't know how I've had to do without. Look, folks, I'm going to tell you something. When you understand what joy is, it's Jesus, others, and then you. You take the focus off yourself. Charity never faileth. The Bible says, and now abideth faith, hope, and charity. Three things the Bible names in that same chapter. These three, but the greatest of these is what? Charity. The greatest of these is charity. People around us need something, and the question this morning is, do you care? Look what it says in 1 John three seventeen. 
Whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? I heard a true story about a wife. She had a husband that did not know Christ as, her, as his Savior. He was not a saved man. According to the Word of God, if we're without Christ, we are condemned, the Bible says. And she was very concerned about her husband because of his health. And she knew that if he died in his sin, that he would not go to heaven, that he would go to hell. And so she thought for a little while, and she thought, how can I get through to my husband? I mean, she had talked to him about the Lord many times. And so she came to the conclusion, here's what I'm going to do. She started cooking him all of his favorite meals. When he came home from work at the end of the day, she met him at the door, and she was dressed nice. She had on perfume. She had food ready, supper ready when he came home. Afterwards, she took him into the living room, and she set him in his, his favorite chair. She took his shoes off, and she began to rub his feet. Just every day, he'd get up in the morning, and his lunch would be made for work, and he would grab his lunchbox, not really thinking about it, go off to work, He'd sit down at lunch and he'd open his lunchbox and in his lunch was a nice lunch that she had prepared with love and kindness, but there was a note that said, hurry home tonight, I'll be waiting for you. And he saw that note and he thought, boy, I can't wait to get home. And this went on for about two weeks. She cooked for him, met him at the door, was nice to him, and she thought, you know, surely this is getting through to him, but there was no indication from him. After about two weeks, he said I, to her, I, I don't know what's going on. He said, you've been treating me like a king. He said, why? And she said to her husband, she said, well, she said, it's simple. She said, I'm saved. I know the Lord is my Savior. And I've talked to you many times about it, and yet you've not accepted Christ. And I know that if you die in your condition that you won't spend eternity with heaven, in heaven with the Lord. And the end of the story is, is that her husband, he got saved. He trusted Christ all because of a wife's love for her husband. You see, real family and friends, they love no matter what. Teddy Roosevelt said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Isn't it true sometimes, even in recent days with the hurricanes and all the heartache that people have endured because of that, that oftentimes even politicians sometimes, and I know it's easy to get down on them, they, they say a lot of things, but they don't follow through with it. But when you see those politicians standing in waist-high water, helping families get out of their homes that are flooded, and you see them standing helping with meals and taking care of things, then people really know how much they care. That it's not just idle words. You see, real family and friends love you no matter what. Notice, fourthly, real family and friends forgive you. Real family and friends forgive you. The Bible says, let all bitterness, all bitterness, and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. The Bible tells us that, listen, at the end of our 
day that the one thing that we are admonished to do is to excuse me, not let the sun go down upon our wrath. In other words, don't pillow your head at night if you haven't made things right with one another. Real family and friends are ones that forgive you. Somebody said, somebody said fragrant, uh, for, uh, forgiveness is the fragrance of a flower when it's stepped on. The smell that it emits when it's stepped on. And many times people hurt us. And what we need to do as a family or a real friend is to learn to forgive others. Two little boys were fighting, oftentimes like little boys do. These two little boys had gotten into it. I mean, it was a knockdown drag out. And the next morning, Johnny, one of those boys, he got his stuff and he began to run out the door with his, with his ball cap in his, head, in his hand. And he started to run out the door heading for Bobby's house. And his older brother, one of his older brothers kind of looked at him and he was teasing him. And he said, I thought you and Bobby were through. I thought you weren't going to have anything to do with each other anymore. That's what you said yesterday. And Johnny paused for a minute, and a smile came to his face, and here's what he said to his oldest brother that was teasing him. He said, Bobby and me's good forgetters. We're good forgetters. And that's what we need to learn to do, is just be a good forgetter. You know why? Because Satan wants to hurt us. Satan doesn't want us to have lasting relationships. Satan doesn't want us to have friends or have a good relationship with family members. Hey, listen, don't you think some things happened on that ark that Noah and his family were on all those days? Don't you think that they learned to forgive one another? And you and I, we need to be people that would not be bitter with one another and especially not bitter with God. Somebody said about a marriage, they said, that a great marriage is made up of two good forgivers. Two good forgivers. Forgiveness is deciding to live with the pain somebody has already inflicted on you. Learning to live with it. You see, the more people that we have in our lives, guess what? The more problems. And you know what we need? More forgiveness. We need to learn how to forgive one another. That's what Jesus did. When Jesus hung on the cross on Calvary and there was blood running down his body, the Bible says in the Old Testament that his, his visage, his demeanor, who he was, was so marred that you couldn't even recognize who he was. And yet, these are the words that Jesus said when he hung on the cross, Father, forgive them. Now think about that. I, I've, I've had people that have hurt me, wronged me, but never what people did to Jesus. And Jesus found a way. Listen, they didn't ask for it. He gave it. Did you hear what I said? They didn't ask for it. He freely gave forgiveness. And it's not natural for us to forgive one another, but yet Jesus found a way to forgive. And, and forgiveness sometimes is a one-way street. Yet forgiveness is one of the keys to a lasting relationship. Think about this. In the Old Testament, Joseph. Joseph lost 13 years of his life. Time that he could have been with his father, his mother. All because of what his brothers did to him. And at the end of his life, you remember what he said in Genesis chapter 50? He says, you might have meant it unto me for evil, but God meant it for good. 
As a matter of fact, look here, a great testimony to Joseph's heart about forgiving. He had two sons. If you study the Bible, he named his sons Manasseh and Ephraim. Now, those aren't names that I ever thought about naming one of my children, but nonetheless, these were names that he chose. Now, names in the Bible, a lot of times, have a great significance to them. It's interesting when you look at the names that he named his two boys after all that he'd been through. Now, listen to this. He chose for the one son, Manasseh. Here's what Manasseh means. God hath made me to forget. That's what he chose for the name of his first son. So that every time he said the name Manasseh, it reminded him that God had caused him to forget about all the hurt, all the pain that had been inflicted upon him. But then he had a second son. He named him Ephraim. You know what Ephraim means? It doesn't just mean fruitful. It means double fruitful. Do you know why he was fruitful in his life? Do you know why Joseph was blessed? Because he learned to forgive. Real family and real friends, they forgive you. And that's what we see in the Word of God. But then I notice also that real family and friends apologize to you. Now think about this. Many times, many times we've been hurt. The Bible says that there are times in our lives where people need to go to someone and apologize for something that they've done. But look, in order to do that, you know what that means? They have to admit that they were wrong. How many of you, you all remember, I'm going to date myself. You remember Fonzie? How many of you remember Fonzie? Yeah, I guess I'm in okay company this morning. Some of you are like, Fonzie, what's that? All right, you'll have to, you'll have to Google it, all right? But if you remember, Fonzie had a hard time saying, I was wrong. I don't know if you remember that. I just remember that. It stuck in my mind. He was this macho guy, leather jacket, motorcycle, you know, always thought he was the one in control. But when he did things wrong and he tried to say those words, he could never get him to come out. As a matter of fact, let's just see if you all could say, I was wrong. Let's try it. I was See, you can say it. It's amazing, you know. All the wives are going, he can say it, you know. How about this one? I am sorry. Let's try that one. See there? See, you're on, you're on a good track right now. See, real family and friends will apologize to you. Look what the Bible says in Matthew 5. Jesus taught this Sermon on the Mount. And the Bible says in Matthew 5, Therefore, if, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there at the altar thou rememberest that thy brother, now watch this, thy brother had ought against thee. Okay, it's not you against your brother, it's that your brother has ought against thee. Now watch what he says to do. Leave there at the altar, leave thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First, be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. You know what Jesus was teaching the disciples? Those people that were there on the mount when he preached that famous sermon on the mount, he was teaching them to stop and to make things right. And I think in a room this size and a crowd this size, 
that certainly there are some that probably ought to just stop in their lives and make things right with someone else. Say, how do you know that I have? I don't. But I have learned in my life, and I have said it more times than Fonzie, I am sorry. I was wrong. And you know, a lot of times people struggle with that. It's like the little the son that asked his father, he said, Dad, he says, what does crow taste like? And the dad kind of looked really puzzled at his little son. He's like, what? He said, why would you ask me that? And he says, well, because you, you're always saying that you had to eat crow. And sometimes you might have to. But folks, real family and friends apologize. Romans 15.1, when we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmity of the weak and not to please ourselves. Is there someone that needs to hear an apology from you? Is there someone that you need to go to to make things right? I can tell you this. Look, study it out. Couches were not invented for husbands to sleep on. <laughs> study it out. I told my wife when we got married, I said, and I know this was dangerous early on, but I told her, I said, I'm never going to sleep on the couch. Now I have, <laughs> but I can say with all certainty, it was because either I was sick or she was sick or I didn't want to bother her. And so I chose to sleep there so that she would get a good night's sleep. But I've never slept there because remember, don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. See, we need to learn, good family and friends, learn to apologize. And then last this morning, real family and friends praise you. Praise you. You know, we get, we get beat down enough, don't we? We need somebody in our corner. You know, I, I don't know if I've ever seen a, a fighter, a boxer, you know, these martial art guys and all this stuff. And when I was a kid growing up, I, I used to watch a lot of boxing I don't think I've ever seen a boxer or a fighter without someone in their corner. Someone there when they, they come back after every round going, hey, I think you ought to hang it up, you know. <laughs> I think he's whooping you, you know. I mean, you know, I think he's got the best of you. No they, no, they say, you know, hey, look, let's go another round. Let's go another round. And all of us need someone. Look what it says. As the finding pot for silver and the furnace for gold, so is a man to his praise. Folks, we all thrive on praise. Uh, you know, look, some of you guys, you're like, you amaze me. You're like, my wife cannot cook. You know whose fault that is? Yours. My father-in-law for years, it didn't matter. My, my mother-in-law could open up a can of beans, dumped it in a pot, zapped it in a microwave, put it on the table, and my father-in-law would go, oh, oh, Jude, this is the, this is the, this is the best meal you've ever made. <laughs> Ask my wife. Listen, listen, my father-in-law never missed a meal. He's a smart man. You've got to learn to praise. You so, sometimes you think, well, you know, sometimes there's nothing to praise. Yes, there is. Yes, there is. I went, to, I went with my, my pastor one time. We were out knocking doors, and, and uh, we got to this trailer park. He knocked on this door, and I was standing there. A lot of times with trailers, there's just a little small step up, and there wasn't room for both of us, so I just kind of stayed down. 
And, and I, I always watched my pastor when he got to a door and how he talked to people and what he said. You can learn a lot just by listening. And the door opened and this lady who was just, she was dressed very poorly. She looked, she, she didn't look very clean. And the house, I could, I, from my, my vantage point, the house was just a kind of a mess. And, and I'm thinking in my mind, because I know what my pastor does is he always starts with something to, to praise or compliment. And I, I'm thinking to myself, this ought to be interesting. What is he going to find? I mean, I'm serious, you know. There's this beautiful paint on this trailer. I mean, I didn't know what he was going to find. And my, my pastor, he's standing there talking to this lady. And I know I, in his mind, his computer, he's scanning while he's talking to her. And he's thinking, I, I want to find something. And, his, and, and God brings his eyes and he focuses on something. And he says to the lady, out of, out of all the, the chaos and clutter, he said, that is a beautiful little angel figurine on that, on that shelf up there. And I, I looked like, what? I looked up there. <laughs> she had this, you know those little wooden shelves that are only about a couple inches and they're about this long? She had, that was the only thing hanging on her wall in her trailer in that room that I could see. And it was the only thing on that shelf. And when he said that, tears began to stream out of her eyes. And she said to him, that was what they gave me when my little girl passed away last year. And it meant the world to her that he commented about that. And folks, I'm going to tell you, it's easy to see all the bad. But real family and friends, they praise you. They look for something good. I, I, I heard a story, true story, about uh, a youth group, and we've got a great youth group here in our church. And there was a youth pastor. He, he uh, decided to go to a certain camp for the summer with his teens, and he took the teens, and there were 10 youth groups that went to that camp. And all week long, like normal in youth camps, they had various activities and events, and they had all this stuff. They had a canoeing and all this other stuff. And all week long, all these other youth groups won every competition. But this one church that had a large number of kids, they didn't win one competition. So the, 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 the camp director was, felt really bad. He thought, here's this group. Nobody's done it in their group. They haven't won a thing all week. And so they threw in an extra event on the last day of camp, and it was a sit-up contest. Sit-up. And so the, 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 the camp director announced the, the event. And so the youth pastor thought, hey, here's our chance. We've got one more chance to win something as a group. And so he said, he looked at his youth group and he says, all right, can any of you do a sit-up? They all started looking at each other. And this one boy, whose name was Columbus, said, I did 25 sit-ups one time years ago. And he goes, you're our man. He said, you're going you're to be the one that's, that's going to compete for us. And so the time came and all the youth groups were there, and they started the competition. And they said, okay, well, here's, what, here's what it is. You have to do a, a complete sit-up. He said, just keep doing it, sit-up after sit-up. And they had a person with each one that competed, and they had somebody counting each one of those, those teenagers. And so Columbus was there in that group, and they started one, two, three. And they kept doing sit-ups. They got to 25, and the youth pastor's thinking, he's doing pretty good. I hope he makes it past 25. Hope he does better than his best, you know. And so they got to 100. 
All the kids are going strong. They got to 200. And the, the youth pastor, he said, he said, hey, he kind of looked at the rest of his youth group. He says, listen, you need to get over there and encourage him. Some of those girls, you know, you know, they never even noticed Columbus, but then all of a sudden it's like, hey, Columbus, you know. You know? And so there they are, all these, even these teen girls are going, Columbus, Columbus. And I mean, they're cheering for him. Come on, come on, Columbus, keep going. And they're cheering him on, cheering him on. They got to 300, 400, 500, 800 push-ups, sit-ups. They're cheering him on. I mean, and all the kids, all these, this true story, all these kids continue to do sit-ups. They got to 1,000. I can't even imagine that. <laughs> and don't, some of you guys right now are going, not a problem. Right. We're going to have a contest right up here after church. 1,100. All these girls, go Columbus, go, go, go Columbus. He's just one after another like a machine. They got to 1,200. And all the other kids finally dropped out. Columbus did six more, and then he, he, he collapsed. And the youth pastor, he got him up off the ground. I mean, he just couldn't even hardly stand. All the girls, you know, they wanted to hug him, but you're not supposed to touch in a youth group, you know. And they're like, Columbus, you know, and they're like punching him in, on the arm, you know. And the youth pastor said to him, he goes, how in the world did you do 1,200 sit-ups? And he said, it was easy. He said, because you were cheering me on. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. If we would just learn to praise one another, that's what real family does. That's what real friends do. People can make it if someone would cheer them on. Look at Proverbs 12, 25. Heaviness. Heaviness in the heart of a man maketh it stoop, but a good word maketh it glad. Look, folks, it, it doesn't matter what people's past is, what people's background is. They need to know that there is someone that is cheering for them, someone who's a real friend and a family member that is cheering them on. Now, when you think about this passage, Noah went in. His sons, his wife, and his sons' wives with him. They spent a lot of time on that ark, did they not? You know why? You know why they got along? Because they had a relationship. I think that they learned to laugh. I think they learned to love. I think they learned to forgive. I think they learned to apologize to each other. I think that they learned to praise one another. But you know, I see the same thing with God. God has learned and God has forgiven us. God knows what's in our hearts, and yet He still forgives us, does He not? You see, I see a wonderful analogy here, how that we have a real God. And listen, this morning, He's a real God that wants you to be a part of His family. And He has offered Himself as a real friend. That He has laid His life down so that you might have a home in heaven someday. Would you bow your heads with me this morning with our heads bowed? and our eyes closed.
I want to thank you for, first of all, being here today, and I want to thank you for listening so well. And with no one looking around this morning, I hope you have some family and friends, and I hope they're real. I hope that they are ones that have learned to laugh with you, that they're friendly to you, that they have at times maybe had to forgive you, to praise you, but there's a God in heaven that loves you. The Bible says this, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And if you do not know Christ as your savior, listen, God wants you to go to heaven and he wants you to go so much that he sent his son Jesus so that you can go there someday. And how many of you with our heads bowed would say, Pastor, if this was my last day on this earth, I have put my faith in Christ. I know that I would have a home in heaven because of what Jesus did. I've accepted God's gift of eternal life. Can you slip your hand up as a testimony that you know for sure? What a wonderful sight this morning. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Some of you, maybe this is the first time that you ever heard this. I was 20 years old when I came to the place that I realized that no matter how good I live my life, that I couldn't go to heaven on my own merit, that the only way I could go is by trusting in one who is a real friend in Jesus. The Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior, God is asking you this morning, would you open your heart? Would you pray a prayer something like this? Lord, I know that I'm a sinner, and I'm asking you today to forgive me of my sin to come into my heart and to be my Savior. Again, something like, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And I'm asking you today to forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart and be my Savior. I wonder, with everybody not looking around this morning, I wonder, did you just honestly pray that prayer to God and say, Lord, I, I want to go to heaven someday. I prayed and asked the Lord to be my Savior. Would you slip your hand up as a testimony and say, I just prayed that prayer. Thank you. I appreciate that. I see that hand on the back. I see that hand on the back. You can put those down. Anyone else this morning? I prayed that prayer just then, Pastor. I see that hand, sir. I see that. You can put it back down. Anyone else this morning? I prayed that prayer. I prayed to God and asked Him to save me. Anyone else this morning? Say, Pastor, I prayed because I realized that Jesus gave his life so that I could have a home in heaven someday. And because I prayed that prayer, God has forgiven me, and I now have a home in heaven. Those of you that raised your hand that you prayed that prayer, there was about five of you, to my knowledge. Those of you that raised your hand said, Pastor, I prayed that prayer. Would you, would you just slip your head up and look at me for a second, would you? Would you look at me for just a second if you prayed that prayer? Did you mean that prayer this morning? I thought you did. Did you mean that prayer this morning, young lady? I thought you did. Did you mean that? Thank you. Thank you. Others this morning, did you mean that? You mean that this morning? Let's stand this morning, if you would. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do as, as we'll hear the piano play. Those of you that raised your hand back here on the back row, right here, back over here, 
Those of you that prayed that prayer, I wonder if you would do us a favor this morning. And we'd like to help you. We'd like to even, if you don't have a Bible, give you a Bible. We'd like to have somebody just take an opportunity and share a few things from the Word of God with you this morning. If you allow us to do that. Would you come this morning? We'll have a lady help you. Would you, would you mind coming? Would you come, sir? Would you come? Just a minute. That'd be okay with you? Can you come this morning? We'll just have somebody for just a minute take the Bible and show you. Would that be okay with you? Come on up. We'll have, we'll have a man up here with you. Young man, would you like to come this morning? Others that have already prayed. Young man, would you like to come this morning? Others this morning. Sir? Would you like to come this morning? Have somebody take the Bible, show you real quick. You've done that? Awesome. Anyone else this morning that, that just prayed? There may be some others that prayed and maybe didn't slip your hand up. We just want to make sure. Listen, folks, a lot of times when I was 20 years old, I didn't really understand. But I can tell you where we can get our answers. It's from God's Word. It's not about you being a part of our church. That's not what it's about. Remember, what I talked about is today and every day of our lives, it's about relationships. And what you need to ask yourself this morning is, do I have a real relationship with God? That's the reason God gave His Son, is so that you can know Him. And if you, if you want to know that, there's still time this morning, you can come. And we love to take the Bible and show you from God's Word. I'm glad somebody showed me. I'm glad that I know that I'm on my way to heaven today. And so this morning, if you made that decision, would you come and would you put your faith in Christ? As we sing this morning, if God spoke to you about anything in the message this morning, would you come this morning? Maybe you just need to forgive someone. Maybe you just need to encourage someone. How about this? Maybe you just need to learn to laugh again and have the joy of the Lord. This morning as the piano plays, would you come? The altars are open. God's spoken to hearts this morning. Would you come? There's time.